Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. So today I want to talk about eternal life. Um, and there's a reason I want to talk about eternal life. I don't know if you've been a part of the church for a long time or not, and maybe you're just starting to explore your sense of spirituality and your place in this long-standing historic movement of church. But even if you haven't been a part of the church for a long time, you may have heard that language of eternal life. If you haven't heard that language specifically, you might hear people talk about heaven and hell and where you're going when you die. I remember when I was in um, uh, between, uh, around Halloween, just before Halloween, they always started posting large signs up on the highway next to the road that would ask that question, if you died today, would you know where you were going? And then around those signs, they would start to advertise these like haunted houses, their haunted trails that were built around like the seven deadly sins or around um, hell itself. And they would use it to frankly scare people into um, belief in Christ. You know, they would go through these scary halls and they would be frightened by all this terrible imagery or even pushed so deeply into experiences of guilt and shame around ways that they participate in these horrible things that then they would come out of the house and there'd be a team of people there who were willing to pray with you so that you could turn your life over and pray for forgiveness and God's grace so that you might have eternal life when you die in heaven. Now, I know there are some of you who have experienced some of that theology firsthand, and I know some of you really struggle with the pain of that experience and navigating how to hold that tension, that fear, that sense of, frankly, manipulation alongside a loving God who calls us to new life but seems to be very present with us now. So that's why I want to talk about eternal life, because I think we, always, we haven't always done a great job of describing what it is or learning how to live into it well. And this passage um, is a really helpful one for us to start to ask these questions and navigate what Jesus means when Jesus talks about eternal life. Because as it turns out, it isn't really like those haunted houses talk about eternal life. It certainly isn't the way that movies like God's Not Dead and all these films that have been produced around, you know, uh, the beauty of a end-of-life conversion story. And, you know, that is a beautiful story, but that's not the point Jesus is making here about eternal life. He's talking to a crowd of people who have gathered around him uh, just after he's fed 5,000 people miraculously, and then just after that walked across the Sea of Galilee, walking on the water to meet his disciples. And then he's met by 
a mixed crowd of folks, some who are supportive and some who are really resistant, when Jesus starts describing himself as the bread of life. Jesus starts talking about how the nourishment provided through Jesus is the nourishment of God and is even better than the nourishment provided by manna in the wilderness. And you see, so it's kind of hard to know exactly what Jesus is talking about without taking a step back and looking how manna and bread and all of these things have been with the people of faith. If you're familiar with the story, you may already know this, and so it might be a review, but for those of you who may not have read through the Bible recently, the story of manna in the wilderness is an essential story for the people of faith in Jesus' own community. Right? It's the story of the Hebrew people being released from slavery in Egypt. And I shouldn't say released. They were saved from slavery in Egypt by God, who uh, fought with the Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt to have all of the people released into the wilderness. And that period of wilderness, even while they were free, it was a period of time where it was hard. They had a lot to complain about. They didn't have easy access to water or easy access to food. They were constantly walking and moving towards a, a promised land that they had yet to see become real. And so in the midst of that whole walk, they start to cry out to God about how they're going to die in this wilderness landscape. They start to grumble and complain and express their frustration that people, you know, and you could imagine people may have been getting sick. People may have been losing their strength to be able to continue walking on this journey. And so they cry out. And what scripture tells us is that God hears their cry and offers them the, <laughs> offers them abundance in the wilderness of the desert by offering manna, a mysterious sort of bread that they see like uh, a sort of film over the desert as they wake up and they have quail that seems to come in from nowhere at night. And they're told to only harvest enough that they need for the day and then they can eat it and then the rest would rot away. And so it's this wild story, an incredible story, about God's provision in a season of absolute scarcity. And so Jesus is sort of tapping into that story while he's talking to these religious folks and other religious teachers. He's describing himself as that bread, that nourishment in a season of scarcity. He comes in the middle of this um, sort of tense crowd. Again, he has just literally fed people uh, in, in, on, on the, the, the grassy landscape beside the still waters of the Sea of Galilee. He feeds them, he nourishes them, and they love him so much that they try to put him on a throne, and he runs away from that throne and instead decides to walk across the water. And even when he gets to the other side of the sea, people are still pursuing him because of this miraculous sign. And so Jesus confronts that very specifically and says, like, you know, we're, we're not doing bread the same way. The bread on the other side of the sea where thousands of people were fed wasn't just about 
giving people food next to the Sea of Galilee. It was about providing nourishment for a fuller life. And that was a symbol for it. It's interesting, when Jesus feeds those 5,000 on the side of the sea there, there is no food. The only food that they're able to gather is really like a child's lunch, who has a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish, and Jesus receives that and miraculously is able to feed an abundance of people even though there was so much scarcity there. And that alone would be powerful, but what Jesus does is he turns that into a larger message about what it means for our life to be nourished, not simply by bread alone, but instead by the presence of God that continues to lead the people of faith through scarce, wilderness experiences. See, God doesn't provide abundance when we get to the end of the journey. Eternal life isn't about what happens after we die now. God provides nourishment for people who are walking a dangerous path while they're walking it as a reminder, as a call towards the promised land. You see the difference there, right? When Jesus talks about eternal life, he's not really describing what will happen after the people die. He's meeting people in a scarce landscape who are grumbling and complaining and frustrated that they've been waiting for someone to lead them out of the wilderness, out of slavery to Rome and Caesar towards a promised land. And Jesus comes to them in the midst of their scarcity in the same way that God came to the Israelites in the midst of their scarcity to offer them the nourishment that they need for the moment not a promise of nourishment that will come later. So Jesus, standing before them, refuses to make another feast. They ask him to do more signs, and he refuses to do that. Instead, he stands in front of them and says, I am that nourishment. Those who eat of me will have eternal life. Those who consume me will have eternal life. Those who live through me will have eternal life. Not in an age yet to come, but in this present moment. You see, the sad reality, I think, and this is just in my own life, is that I'm very easily um, distracted. And so because I'm easily distracted, I tend to just sort of consume whatever's coming at me, unless I'm really intentional, right? We consume what's on the 
24-hour news cycle. We consume what's rolling through a Twitter feed or our Facebook page or Instagram. We consume what's coming in in videos on um, TikTok. We consume all this stuff. We consume what's on the radio. We consume the conversations that we're having with friends and family. We consume the anger that we feel in traffic. We consume all of these things, and those become the things that nourish us. We consume hatred, and we wonder why we're so angry all the time. We consume violence, and we wonder why we're violent. We consume cynicism, and wonder why we're so cynical. We consume easy jokes, and we wonder why we're still racist. What we consume becomes the expression of our life. You are what you eat. That's true in a spiritual sense. It's true in a physical sense. It's true in an emotional sense. We are what we eat. We are what we consume. And so many of us are living temporal and temporary lives, blown by the winds of chance. Whatever may be on someone else's mind suddenly and surprisingly becomes what's on my mind. And so Jesus stands before us in the midst of our overconsumption and says, stop. You don't need to consume everything. We simply need to consume the truth, the way, the life. The more we fix our eyes on the presence of God through Christ, the more that we are nourished for abundance, the more that we are nourished for hope, the more that we're nourished for a deep sense of joy that can continue hard work because we are grounded in something greater than ourselves. The more we consume and follow after the presence of Christ, the more our perspective becomes a long one. The more we understand eternal life and our unique spot within the framework of eternity. Because we all are essential for that path. You wouldn't have been created if you didn't have unique gifts to offer to the world, to help in God's transformation of it. You are a gift from God. But we are so easily distracted by everything coming at us that we fail to eat the nourishing meal of God's own presence. We struggle to maintain our healthy nourishment. And so, having said all of that, eternal life has very little to do 
with just waiting for death to come and seeing whether or not we end up in heaven or hell. And for those of you who have been manipulated, wounded by people who have tried to force feed you that picture, I'm sorry. That's not Jesus's work. Jesus's work is consistently offering the bread of life to us. Not so that we end up in one place or another, but instead so that we might finally take a simple small bite and find some greater clarity about the present moment and our place in it. Find some simple clarity about our vocation, some simple clarity about how we're meant to take the next right step, some simple clarity about where the path is going, some simple clarity about what is actually happening around us and how we might healthfully detach ourselves from all of the distractions so that we can stay resolute in the hope that we have in Christ. Not so that we can hope God does something later, but so that we can participate in what God is doing now. And in that, we have eternal life. Now. Not sometime later. Now. So may you be nourished by good things, found only through the presence of God that we know in Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org.